do their best to walk with you and honor your great name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son to be our savior. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who quickened into our hearts a living faith. We thank you that you protect us and you provide for us. Yes, we have our difficulties, but Lord, you're with us all, through them all. And uh, we pray your blessing upon this service. We pray that uh, you would be honored. And we pray that any who may not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're thankful that your spirit has drawn them here. And we pray that you may draw them into the circle of faith in him. Pray for those who are ailing, those who are on the roads, and uh, those, our Father, who have other issues. We pray that you administer to them according to their need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we always have visitors among us. I hope this is this arrangement. If you haven't figured it out yet, somebody asked me, we are not having our after service, our Bible fellowship. We're having a picnic in here. And you're most welcome, and it'll be really good. We had people just working all, all weekend. And uh, so it's, it's going to be fine. Uh, there's going to be some great chicken and other things. I asked for filet mignon, but I don't think that desire has been accommodated. So we'll just do what we can. But great to have you all. Now, for any who are new to us, what we do here, uh, everybody else knows it. We, we do expository preaching. And that means ordinarily we're taking a book of the Bible and we're working our way through it. So I don't pick the text for any given occasion usually. The text picks me. And that's where we are today, and it's a great one. It has to do with the great prophet John the Baptist. And John, the author, the apostle who writes this book, is concerned to put John the Baptist in his proper context vis-a-vis the Lord Jesus. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Let me read it. Now after these things, the things he just referred to, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea. There he was spending time with them and baptizing. Interesting. John also was baptizing in Enon near Selene because there was much water there and they were coming. People were coming, crowds were coming and they were being baptized as a baptism of repentance toward God. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose therefore a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification, which baptism was. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, they're getting a little concerned about this. He is baptizing and all are coming to him. The light has been shifting. John answered and he said, A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said, as some had thought, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Let's get that clear. But I have been sent before him by the Father in heaven is the idea. Then he gives them an analogy, very familiar in that time. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. We all know that even in our culture. But the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. And then this verse, boy, we need to get it, John did. He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, in the word from the pastor, I'd like to repeat. There is no place for personality cult. Let me put this in a different context. Uh, America, in our day, has changed somewhat. It is, a, it is personality driven. Personality cult is, it just pervades the church and everything else as well. Celebrity worship infects the ranks of Christianity big time. When that stuff gets in, it blurs our message and hinders mission time and time again. We must always remember, as I told someone this morning, always remember that we are about Christ and nothing else. We're not about lake. We're not about country. Frankly, I'm embarrassed to my socks about our country. We're not about that, but we are about Jesus Christ. I'm always amazed as I introduce this message at how many Christian leaders claw and grasp for a big platform and they wind up, seems like it's almost weekly, crash landing in scandal or infamy. And in one way or another, they forget who they are and what they're about. And in the process, bring great reproach upon the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and the mission. Or some combination of, it's just hard to lay aside ego. We all have it, whether you're lay people, or whether you're a pastor. And it affects you out there in the streets, at your workplace. It affects us in the church. It's hard to lay aside ego. Even in the ministry. And the temptation to try to share the spotlight with our Savior. In Isaiah, the Lord said, I will share my glory with no man. And when people like me and people like, you know, our elders, people, people anywhere, when you're serving Christ, whether it's out in the streets, when you try to wedge your way in there somehow or other and to share the spotlight with Christ, you're on very dangerous ground. You're going to come down. You're going to come down, and it just happens all the time. Unlike in my youth, it's one of the ways I've changed for the better. I see that clearly. That's why these days, some of you may have noticed I've been here forever. I won't be here forever, <laughs> but I've been here forever. I am more and more reluctant to trust big capital B, capital I, capital G. 
wherever I see it, I usually don't regard it as a work of the Spirit. Oh, look what God is doing. And I'm more inclined this, these days to say, no, that's not God. That's because today in America and in the Western world in general, there is less a market for the truth. By the truth, I mean the Word of God. For that reason, it's very hard to find a ready audience for the truth without making unpopular compromises. And as I've observed it, that is pretty regularly the way it is. When things get big, and you know, woo, look at us. When they get big, we hear so many here. Start looking around. It's hard to do that without trimming the truth and making the truth more ear-tickling and more comfortable to modern audiences. Today we have a narrative about a man who was, they didn't use that term in those days, who was a celebrity in his day. It was John the Baptist. However, when Jesus was short, he was a little younger in the flesh than John the Baptist. When he emerged on the scene, the big shine of John the Baptist's light kind of diminished. As is typical in such cases, John's devoted followers, and they were devoted, they kind of became jealous for his celebrity. Was it going down? But particularly for their coattail shine, people like to grab on to somebody. I see it all the time. They like to grab on to somebody who's got some limelight. And they like to ride the coattails because they get, it's like, the moon having the reflection of the sun. Well, John had to set them straight, and he does so in this passage. The way he responded to their concern for his, by comparison, declining celebrity is in stark contrast to our religious select celebrity culture. The sins of the world become the sins of the church. They always do. They always do. We've got to be careful about that. Few today would so humbly take a back seat to Jesus himself in the spirit of John the Baptist. What a man he was. All right, the backstory. We start with verses 22 and following. Verse 22 has Jesus. Do we have? Yeah, up here it is. I was looking up there. Yeah. Thank you, guys. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. Now, Judea, just think a long strip coming down Mediterranean Sea on this side and the Jordan River on this side. Most of you know this, but Judea was that. It included Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry. It has Jesus moving out of Jerusalem proper into Judean countryside. This was for the purpose. He always was a man of mission, the Lord Jesus. Spending time with his disciples and teaching and training them. Teaching and training. Note in, in uh, this uh, text that Jesus was not baptizing himself. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading my Bible, I've mentioned this kind of thing many times. I put on laser eyes and I look at things. 
And some things may just seem to you to be filler material. I don't look at them like that. They're not. And here, John's baptizing. And Jesus and his group, his disciples were doing the baptizing, not Jesus. Well, you would think perhaps, well, he might want to be in the very forefront of that baptizing. Why didn't he? The text does not tell us, but sometimes we've got to read by inference what's going on. It's really an interesting thing. So we got a lesson here. We got several lessons in this text, about six. This is one of them. We've got a lesson about the Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-K effect. Is that up there? Should have happened. But when I go to use this stuff, who knows what will happen. Good good going, guys. Who in the world was Baruch? Well, Baruch was the personal secretary to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. The elites wanted to kill him, but God was having none of it. He was mighty in the days of the Babylonian incursion into Israel. His voice just reverberated across the land. The light that was Jeremiah was spilling over into who? Well, his personal secretary. I mean, there goes Baruch. Do you know, he's the secretary to Jeremiah. And so he got some shine because he was associated with Jeremiah. And that was not, Baruch was a good man. But it was not lost on him that he was getting a little spillover celebrity by being close to Jeremiah. This is something we got to watch. In fact, heaven noted it. If you were to read Jeremiah 45, it's a very short chapter and it's devoted to correcting Baruch. They were coming to the end of their ministry and to the calamitous judgment that was going to fall upon Israel. But still Baruch, he had some ego. And he kind of saw in this association a chance to draw a little attention to himself. And the Lord said, don't seek great things for yourself, Baruch. Jeremiah 45. Watch that. Stay with the program. We've got to watch in all that we do as believers that we don't deflect attention to ourselves. Now, I've never had too much problem with that because there was no reason to have attention, you know, reflected toward me. But here's the deal. If you're ever in that situation, you'd be very careful about getting mixed up with the Beirut effect. Well, that was a... You know, you can really get embarrassed that way. Not everybody here is an NFL football fan, so I'll risk an illustration. One of the most famous coaches in history, he's still coaching, is a coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick. Most of you, I think, 
probably know of him. Well, these other teams that are not doing so well when they lose a coach, where do they go looking? They go looking for a Beirut. They go looking for somebody who has a little bit of the polish, the shine. And they've done that for years, but almost every single one of Bill Belichick's coaches, almost every one of them failed. It hasn't worked too well. People are beginning to learn that. So just just be careful. I've got more to say about some of this stuff. In verse 23, there's a notice that there was much water there. That's why Jesus and John, all those people were coming together and doing all this baptizing. I want you to notice that something, this is not the biggest deal in the world, but it is a deal. It should be noticed. Why couldn't Jesus just have done that in Jerusalem and places like that? Well, there were a lot of people coming to be baptized. But it is noted that John didn't do it. It's noted that Jesus didn't personally baptize. That gets my attention. Why do you suppose Jesus wouldn't join in joyfully in baptizing everybody that his disciples were? Well, again, it doesn't tell us. But I think there is a fairly obvious reason when you think about it. And it was this. That if Jesus went out and he started baptizing these people, what would happen? Well, if he baptized them, then thereafter, after he was crucified and resurrected and going back to heaven, oh, there's Joe. He was baptized personally by Jesus. And that would give them status and uh, shine that other people didn't have. And so if you had an organization, just to think in modern terms or an institution, would you put in charge? Joe, because he was baptized by Jesus. And you get a lot of people you shouldn't have. Do you know that kind of stuff goes on still today? Somebody, I'm going to invent a person. Joe Blow. Joe Blow has shine in uh, the Christian world. Well, Joe Blow has, has some friends or he has some sons or daughters. And uh, I can think of one person right now. I went to school with him. And he became great big. Like John the Baptist, his, he, no scandal or anything. His shine just kind of gone. He got old and decrepit like me. You know, uh, but he had a sister who was basically a nobody. And all of a sudden, because she was his sister, she became somebody big. Every women's conference, there she was. Women's Day, all this sort of thing. There was nothing basically to commend her to such status and to such celebrity, except her association with her brother. I could just tick off names like that. That's not what you want in the church. You want people who are selected to leadership, 
who have the character, who have the gifts, and whose standing is not based upon genetics or based on association, somewhere like that. It's a great temptation. We got a lesson here about envy. That is a problem. The ministries of the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist overlapped for a time. Because they overlapped, some people began to notice. Do you notice that his crowds for baptism, Jesus, are getting stronger than John's? That concerns us. He was drawing a bigger crowd. And that tells us something about the temptation to envy in any place. Envy always perverts or distorts the holiest and noblest of enterprises into an occasion of rivalry. I remember just did occur to me here on my seat. There was a great Bible teacher. He was in England. Some of you may have heard him, but we are so far removed from those days we may not. And uh, he, uh, he had notoriety of his own, F.B. Meyer. Does anybody remember that name? Well, there's John and a couple others. But he's a great man, had no reason to be envious of anybody. But he confessed at a conference one time of his envy do you remember, was it of Spurgeon? Yeah, of his envy of Charles Spurgeon, who was, you know, the greatest preacher regarded in the Western world in our era. Well, F.B. Meyer was not a, a great big platform, but he was a wondrous Bible teacher, and he was so admired, but he found himself jealous or envious of Spurgeon. And when that gets in there, that infects the ministry. Fortunately, it didn't carry him off the grid. He was humble and he just admitted it. This love of limelight, boy, it's very American. Envy of those who have it, have limelight, will always tempt us. But you and I, in whatever venue we are in, we must resist it. Listen, Envy, jealousy will take us where we ought not go and into territory where we cannot be other than a hindrance to Christ, even as we labor in his name. Now we have in verse 27 a lesson about the sovereignty of God. When John saw that envy popping up in his followers, Envy, supposedly for his sake, that wasn't good, but also for their own sake because they were losing it as John started losing it. John said, listen, people, verse 27. He said, a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. God rules. And in all the dispositions of these things, it is God in your workplace everywhere. It is God. You may not like the way things went down. You may not like who went up and who went down. But you and I have got to remember that in the ambit of influence, 
any servant of God is determined by his so God's sovereign discretion. I will tell you a personal story. It's not in here going off page. Uh, it doesn't reflect all that well on me, but uh, it, boy, it was really big. I've told you many times, I grew up ambitious. I didn't get it from my parents. Nobody nurtured it. It was just in the DNA. And uh, I just, I just expected. The younger I was in love with big. I told you I got over that. And for good reasons. And uh, I expected to... Uh, Go big. You say, well, you were a little stupid, weren't you? Yeah, probably so, because you see things as I did. Anyway, I uh, majored in journalism, and I uh, wanted to write, and uh, I submitted my first article unsolicited. Those usually don't go too well. To the famous Carl F. H. Henry of Christianity Today, I thought it was a good article. I'd met him a time or two. I don't mean we were buds. But he might have recognized the name, might have. Anyway, I submitted the article to see if it would be accepted, and he wrote back the kindest article. Uh, he was very gentle. <laughs> he let me down gently and told me that they didn't have this on their schedule. <laughs> well, I was down at the church when I had been down there, when I went to pick up the mail and I got that. It absolutely crushed me. So in tears, I went back to the parsonage, which wasn't far away. We had an old-fashioned church bench in our kitchen from the 1800s. We shouldn't have gotten rid of that, Oss. We had it there, and I sat down on that bench. Ossie was working in the kitchen, I just cried. I was 29 years old. And I saw 30 coming. <laughs> and I saw the meter running on my opportunity to shine. And uh, I told Aussie, oh, in all seriousness, I told her, I did have a problem with ego and all that sort of stuff. I told her, I said, honey, this question has never occurred to me before and it really hadn't it had never occurred to me when I become say 45 and I find I'm just another boot soldier in God's kingdom will I serve the Lord as aggressively as energetically as I'm doing now if I find I'm a buck private or merely a sergeant in God's army. I didn't know the answer to that. I did not know the answer to that right then. And it took me a little while to process it. Because sometimes we get in love with this idea of big. We're Americans. In America, we think in everything. In your business, other things. If we're not getting bigger and better, we're failing. And that is a big mistake. I have learned that sometimes 
sometimes smaller is best. I had a, a guy who was on our staff one time. He went on to another church, which was really big, not as a pastor. And he came back in tears telling me one time, Jim, I've learned that big is not always better. And that is so true. We have a lesson here about the sovereignty of God. God, you are where you are because of the sovereignty of God. I am where I am because of the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God doesn't have to do necessarily with your gifts, with your talents, with your worth or merit or anything like that. God just does what God's going. All you have to do is read church history and see that. John says, no, no matter, look, I've received what I've received by the sovereignty of God. What I'm losing in terms of light and celebrity, that's, that's the way God has appointed it. Get used to it. Deal with it. I had to. <laughs> okay. Verse 28. We have a lesson about staying in our lanes. John said in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I know who I am. I have been sent before him. Then he gives the illustration about the bride. Listen. I see this stuff all the time. It's sickening to me. All the time. Sometimes I'm up late at night because Aussie won't let me in bed. Sometimes I'm up late at night and I do have trouble sleeping. By the way, pray for that. I got a sleep test tonight. And she says I have sleep apnea. I said, no, I don't. Anyway, that's a little ongoing battle. And uh, we uh, have these, these things. Well, I turn on some of these channels. And way over here in the channels, 450 or something like that, I run across some of these hotshot preachers. No names. And here's one up here. There he is, parading back and forth across the platform in a muscle shirt. What are you doing, you idiot? Do you know who you represent? Got a muscle shirt on. And then I look down there, there's Converse tennis shoes, you know, with big, thick soles like that. And there it goes. And people just roar. And I think, are you crazy? And then I go to another channel, another channel, and here's a guy, he's Asian. And he's got his, uh, he's got his brand, always in black. Hair is black, everything is black, always in black, black, black. Do you know what these people think? And I've just named a couple. Do you know what they think? I'm going to tell you what they think. Marshall McLuhan, the great communications expert, they think the medium is the message. Somehow they become more important in the, in the message than they are. The message is Christ. It's not you, Buster. I, I don't... I'm a, because this is a picnic, I don't mind dressing down today. But 
I just won't go for that stuff. We got to remember who we are. Ossie and I got us, I found that I got a real fine sport coat and some things and a lot of bling, you know, that went with it. And she said, are you going to wear that today? I said, no. She says, well, why not, honey? I say, because it's too much. It just calls attention to me. It's not much to call attention to. (laughs) But to me, that's not what we're up there for. We are up here to represent Jesus Christ. Look, you're a pastor, any pastor. He's not the message. And when the pastor goes goofy on you, you know, in terms of style and all of that, what if I came out here in a uh, tuxedo? I'm not the message. You're not the message. It's about Christ. John the Baptist, he got that. And he set his disciples straight. And he said, look, who I am and where I am, this is God's work. The Spirit of God and his sovereignty, he places us where we are. And he's going to do the work among us that he plans to do. And so don't get all excited about it. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about my light. Don't worry about my shine. The medium is not the message. God gives us. He he gave me what he wants me to have. And you understand that and go with it. Go with God's program. Well, finally, we've got a lesson about priorities. I love this one. Verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. These are not wholly distinct points, but they're distinct enough that we need to emphasize them. You and I need to know the game plan. John did. It's time for me to decrease. It's time for him to increase. Go with the flow. The Messiah had appeared. His herald, John, had paved the way. That was what he was supposed to do. Now it was time for the herald to recede into the background. That was God's sovereign plan. And to give center stage to the king. That's a timeless servant. That's a timeless principle for all servants of God. And most especially, any who may find themselves in the sovereign choices of God, the objects of fame. That's when it gets so dangerous, when you start to get an uptick in notoriety. That's so dangerous. I, I probably wouldn't have handled it well. Any who may find themselves in the sovereign choices of God, the object of some celebrity, and gain kind of a, oh, a personality cult following, which goes with the celebrity in the church, you got to watch that kind of stuff. Now, I've seen some men who who handle that better than others. And uh, I don't mind calling a, a name here, though I don't myself, you know, I, I'm i just like a kid in the garden. If Dad tells me to hoe the potatoes, I hoe the potatoes. Let somebody else do the corn and somebody else do the tomatoes. But John MacArthur has stood in there and he's gotten a lot of fire. But he's... He doesn't, to my knowledge, promote that cult following thing. 
but some of his followers do. You got to watch that. That you you forget who it's about. It's about Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. So, like John the Baptist, we are here to magnify Christ. We're here to call sinners to repent in faith and to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, to be your be-all and your end-all. And if you don't know him, that calls for a decision on your part. I want you to know you cannot be passive. You must say yes to his great name. You don't just sit there and just think, well, if this is for me, I'll get it. If it's not, I won't. No, you're called to make a decision. And I hope you will. And we're called to make a decision and to remember what we're all about and to do it. We get all mixed up these days. Some people get mixed up in being in being big. I saw the church that Aussie grew up in and I was a part of, I saw it totally humiliated because they'd kind of gotten a big thing. They were never going to become big, but they'd kind of gotten it. And uh, they just had that fever about them. Because they had had a new pastor and the church had kind of grown, but it was in a small town. It was never going to become a big deal, but you couldn't tell them that. I mean, it had the great, notable name of Boomer Baptist Church. Now, was that church going to become big? Not with that name. (laughs) Boomer Baptist Church and railroad track right in front of the church. But the people were so proud, so proud of their church. Well, there's an element of that. It's okay. They were so proud. And the pastor made a huge blunder. He played on that. And he was trying to build up to a certain occasion. And he told the people that on a, I mean, it was in July or something, that somebody very important was going to visit Boomer Baptist Church. Oh, my gosh. And they kept building on that, and the people were so excited, they were almost in a fever. And who could it be? Some even thought maybe Billy Graham, you know, was coming to Boomer. I don't think so, but that's what they were thinking. When the great day arrived for this visitor, famous visitor, to come to Boomer Baptist Church, you won't believe who the visitor turned out to be. Santa Claus. I don't know what Bill's point was. He was a good guy, but but he played on that big thing. It ruined his ministry, and it wasn't long until he was out of there. Not a scandal, but just a stupid, stupid blunder, but big. We Americans are so into big. We're so into celebrity. We, we're so into a lot of things that we shouldn't be into. We're all about Christ. Some are just so into other things, politics. Now, we got to be careful there, very careful. We've arrived at a day where 
politics, and Christianity do meet. I define preaching in this way. Preaching, biblical preaching, is where I, the preacher, bring the word of God and the issues in life and a violent collision at the intersections of the consciousness. Absolutely. So there's so much going on out there. Terrible stuff. Insane stuff. Somebody said it's a stupid day to be alive. We're running into so much of that stuff. We've got to speak out. We've got to say this is right. This is wrong. This is insane. This, this is violently stupid. We've got to say things like that about some of the things. But we can get so caught up in it. We get into things like Christian nationalism. That's not us. We don't want to go there. And uh, we're about Christ. We're not about all this other stuff. I'm not about your pastor, at least. I'm not about helping to create a better America. Boy, I wish this country better. I'm not wanting to save the Titanic. Is that is that clear? I'm speaking for you. I think I speak for our elders. We're not wanting to save the Titanic. I want to save the people on it. And the Titanic is going to hell, and it will continue to go to hell. We better get used to that idea. It's a crazy world we're living in. We must all decrease and let him increase in everything that we do. It's about him. He is the way. You're looking for the way. He is the truth. You're looking for the truth. He is the truth. You're looking for life. He's the life. He said, no one comes unto the Father except through me. If people don't come to the Father, nothing else matters. If people don't come to him, it's all a waste. Some people are all about family. He must increase. Family's wonderful. I love my family. I don't know they always love me, but I love my family. It's wonderful. But if they wind up and go to hell, what's the use? What's the use? All the stuff you might gain in this world, all the light, all the fame, all the wealth that you might acquire, what's the use? What shall a man gain? What shall a man gain if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's our business. That's what we're about. So let's remember he must increase and I must decrease. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word through John the Apostle. We thank you for the words and the sentiments of John the Baptist, which kind of set us straight. He got it. And sometimes, our Father, we don't. We get our priorities so messed up at times. And sometimes we want to share the stage. We want to share the spotlight with Christ. And we forget, I will share my glory with no man, says the Lord. And help us to understand that and not try to wedge ourselves in there so we get a little of the shine. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen.